there was a guy at a meeting, his name is Tom. And I heard him talking at a meeting and he said, tomorrow I'm going to go see my grandchildren. And this will be the first time I've ever seen my grandchildren and I'm sober. Those are things you remember. Uh, you know, yeah. those are the things that just rip the heart right out of you and say, God, I love this program. I, I heard, heard it through, through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour featuring the collective voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Sam, you know the Grapevine asks for submissions from members of AA, and in the guidelines, you know, they ask for stories. The Grapevine magazine is all written by the membership of AA. Mm -hmm. They ask for an anecdotes jokes an ask for what antidotes an not an antidote an anecdotes some people are desperately in need of an antidote but it takes so long for the mail <laughs> i think you mean anecdotes <laughs> anecdotes jokes <laughs> and artwork sam how can folks submit artwork jokes and antidotes <laughs> to the grapevine it's super simple. You just go to aagrapevine.org, and I guarantee you'll find it on that front page. <laughs> well, one thing that it says in the guidelines, so you can submit anecdotes, jokes, artwork, but no poems. <laughs> no poems. Don't want any poems. I like poems. Some poems. Oh, ooh, I have a poem from my senior year in high school. Listen to this. Uh-oh. Death. Death, I, I ponder, ponder thee, thee wantonly, death. death. I, I wish, wish thee, thee to pounce upon my life. life. Take, Take me to another way. way. My, my interest, interest grows in thee. Tis now a sapling, too soon a tree. That's it's awesome, isn't it, Beautiful, Don? Sam. I could just hear the kettle drums of death. <laughs> death. <laughs> Ooh, talk about some angsty teenager. <laughs> you know, Sam, I think you've given a really good example that's a, a really good service that you've provided of why the grapevine has asked for no poems <laughs> <laughs> well i thought of that when i came across this poem by george herbert an english poet who lived in the early 1600s now see if you can tell if he was an alcoholic or not drink not the third glass which thou canst not tame when once it is within thee. Ooh. So one's okay. Two's okay. Mm. Three, the problem starts. Of course, we well know that, you know, it's that first one that gets things going, right? It's that first glass for me that's the trouble. And I had no idea that it was the first glass when I came in to it. I didn't know that that first the first drink is what gets us. I didn't know that. You would think that we would know it from experience, but honestly, I did not. Well, you know, we can't do this our own way. My own thinking that never showed up. I needed someone to tell yes. me that and convince me. So, Don, tell me, though, what about the famous poem in the big book? We landed in England. I visited Winchester Cathedral, much moved. I wandered outside. My attention was caught by a doggerel on an old tombstone. Here lies a Hampshire grenadier, 
who caught his death drinking cold, small beer. A good soldier is ne'er forgot whether he dieth by musket or by pot. Sam, can pot kill you? Don, that's an outside <laughs> issue. It's referring to a pot of beer. <laughs> I think they're actually talking about a small glass. Yeah, which they call a pot. <laughs> there you go. Well, Sam, who's our guest today? Well, Don, today's guest is Bill L. from White Plains, New York. I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a good one. I wonder if he knows any poetry. <laughs> hey, Sam, how can I support the AA Grapevine podcast? Since the grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazines, on our website, or even in our podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept contributions from AA members. What? If you want to support this podcast, visit aagrapevine.org and click on store. Bill L. from White Plains, New York, originally from Providence, Rhode Island, where I got sober. And then after I retired, I moved to Florida for almost 20 years and spent my summers in Killington, Vermont, over at the Wilson House and Bill Wilson's grave. My winters in Florida. And then my wife got sick, so we moved here to be near our kids. My date of sobriety is April 18th, 1970. I just celebrated 53 years. Hmm. Do you remember drinking? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny. My first night that I drank, I wound up on the floor in the toilet throwing up. Then I woke up the next day down the street with a guilt. And I don't even know how I got there. And I had an incredible summer. Well, the first night was a blackout. and Within six months, it was convulsions of blackouts. And over the next four and a half, almost five years, it was atrocity after atrocity after atrocity. And finally, the young lady that I'm with now, married for 52 years next month, she finally said to me, stop drinking or get out. I uh, went to the program. My father was in the program. And I went to three meetings and decided I really needed AA, but uh, maybe in 30 years, because I was only 24. (laughs) Okay. Seven months later, after a few more atrocities, I came in the program and I really, truly thought that this was the end of my life. This was going to be it. I was going to have to be in these church basements with all these old people the rest of my life. And that was it. What a uh, miserable existence, right? But, you know, I could accept that. I really could. And uh, what I found out, this is Freedom Hall. This truly is. Uh, I've done so many things in the last 53 years that have just been phenomenal. You know, for people that are having a hard time, I say, I know they may not like this. I say, good. Remember, it's a hard time because when it gets easier and you get all the benefits from AA, the wonderful things start happening. You may forget. But if you have a real hard time, especially in the beginning, the old timers used to say, if you don't want AA, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. They used to say that. I used to say, I'll never say that. But then I realized that some people need that door hit in the ass for a while to come back. But I always say to people, 
if you do go out and you drink or drug, whatever you're going to do, please come back because we need you. I need you. I definitely need you. Uh, right now, I'm having one of the toughest times in my life because my wife has Alzheimer's. She's very, very confused. Her legs don't work anymore, and she's in a wheelchair. It's very, very tough for me. And almost every night, I get out to a meeting. Well, AA is Freedom Hall. I uh, started working out. When I first got sober, I was working for $2 an hour at manpower. I never thought it was going to get any better, but it did. Bill, what was the biggest obstacle to you the last time that you came to AA? I did not believe in God, and I did not believe that AA could really help me. But my father was sober, and I'd never seen Mm. my father sober that I can recall. He was a miserable, rotten bastard. Even after he got sober, you know, we didn't get along. We didn't go to meetings together or anything like that. And I was only going to hang around long enough until I could save up some money and go get some real professional help, like a psychiatrist or something. Because I really didn't think AA could help me. But after 15 months sober, my wife and I were in uh, Maine, and we had just got married. And I don't know what it was, but I never got on my knees and really asked for help. Not sincerely, because I didn't believe there was anything there that could help me. And it was 15 months sober. Something went wrong. And I was mad. And I was upset. And I remember sitting in my car. I had slammed the door so hard. I was covered in broken glass. I was punching the steering wheel and punching myself in the face. Because that was one of the things I used to do as an angry, angry man. I was waiting for a truck to come by so I could pull out in front and kill myself. Mm. It was the first time I ever asked for help. I mean, really sincerely asked for help. I was 25. It was July 20th, 1971. And it was the first time I really, truly, truly asked for help. And all of a sudden, I went from this terrible moment of rage to a to a sort of a peace of mind, which I've had a few times since, usually after a 12-step call where I really feel as though I've helped somebody Mm-hmm. Or somebody comes up after I speak at a meeting and say, thank you for what you said. Or maybe a fifth step. Those wonderful moments. Indeed. And that was one of them. And ever since then, I've had a very strong belief in a higher power. To me, it's the people in AA. I hear you. I have met the greatest people in the world. And, you know, I did the national anthem for the Marlins for the preseason game. And Don Mattingly came out and shook my hand after I did the national anthem. And that's nice. But. When somebody comes up to me at a meeting and tells me that I was the one that greeted them at the door, that makes me feel better than meeting Don Natalie out in the field. It (laughs) really, it really, truly does. There was a girl named Lonore, and she was in the car, and I I knew she was struggling. And at one of my anniversaries, I think a couple of years ago, my 51st anniversary, I went and knocked on the window before the meeting. I said, I wanted you to speak for me. And I found out later that she was thinking about going out and drugging and drinking and killing herself. And, but that, that, that turned around. These phenomenal oh. things have happened, you know, and those are the important things in life. You know, I'm a firm, firm believer in the I am responsible when anyone, anywhere reaches out for help. I want the hand of AA to always be there. And for that, I am responsible. And whenever I speak at a meeting, then they ask me to close the meeting. I always close with that. I say the responsible parent and get everybody to say it together. 
So you prayed to the nothing for help. That was my experience as well. And then something happened. How have you come to terms with the idea of God in the steps? I love the third step because July 4th, 1965, when I took my first drink, and I didn't just take my first drink, I decided to get drunk that night. Up until that point, I'd never had much more than a sip of anything ever. I hated the taste of it. July 4th, 1965, I accepted the first step 100%. I turned my life and my will over to care of alcohol for five years. I had no problem doing that whatsoever. But when it came to do the real third step and I couldn't accept it, it's only in the last maybe three years that I've thought about that and said, you know, I had no problem with accepting alcohol as my higher power. So why do I have a problem with this? And I don't have a problem anymore. Mm. I'm not a religious person. Mm -hmm. But I consider myself very spiritual. You said that at 15 months of sobriety is when you had something special really happen. That time when you, you sincerely asked for help. Had you been working the steps prior to that? Well, it was 1970. And uh, it's, it's a whole different world and experience now. The only meetings that we had were stand-up meetings. Well, we call them stand-up. Those speaker meetings. That was it. Oh. Uh, we would go on a commitment. There would be four or five of us. Each person would talk for 15 minutes, 20 minutes. I would go to a halfway house and pick up a car full of guys. We'd have a meeting on the way to the meeting, a meeting at the meeting, a meeting on the way back. And then when I got to uh, Woonsocket, Rhode Island, after my wife and I got married and we lived out there, we would meet at a coffee shop. Then there would be five meetings. There'd be a meeting at the coffee shop, a meeting in the car, <laughs> a meeting in the meeting. You know, and, I love and, it. and that's the way I was raised. I asked a number of people to be my sponsor. They all said, yeah, sure. And there was nothing done from there on out because it was a long time ago. You know, when I got to uh, Florida, when I retired about 20 years ago now, yeah, 21, 22 years ago, at the meetings, there's all these people are coming early and they're going through the big book and they're doing the 12 steps with their sponsors at the meetings. I did my steps in, in a car with guys traveling back and forth to meetings oh. from the Talbot House in Providence, Rhode Island on Pine Street, mm -hmm. driving all the way down to the Cape or driving up to Connecticut to a meeting or driving to New Hampshire. I got And we had a little card that folded out. There were like seven meetings on Tuesday, eight meetings on Wednesday. I get to New York here. You guys got a telephone book. You got a thousand meetings to choose. Well, I say you it's guys. Really different. You're yeah. in North Carolina and the other gentleman is in Southern California. I can't believe this. This is unbelievable. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, it is. isn't it? Yeah. It was 1970. And so things were different. But don't you think it was just the culture of AA where you were that that's the way sponsorship was done? And then you go to a, another area and the way sponsorship is done is to meet with your sponsor before the meeting. I know that the culture is different in Greensboro than it is in Raleigh slightly yeah, yeah. because Bill and Bob were, I don't know exactly how they worked the step, mm -hmm. but I know that they did it very quickly. Well, there's only six of them. <laughs> now we got 12 steps, 12 tradition, 12 concepts. Bill, do you have sponsees now? Yes, I do. I get calls, seven or eight calls a day from people. Oh, fantastic. But I want them to call me every day. They call, they talk. I ask what meeting they went to. Sometimes they tell me about their problems, which is fine. And then I have breakfast with some guys. I meet them at a the, uh, coffee shop and we have breakfast every once in a while. I pay. I feel I've got to give back. I mean, I just turned 78. 
I've had congestive heart failure. I got two new knees. I got some six screws holding my spine together. So I just want to do all that I can before I go. And your wife has Alzheimer's. Yes. How are you not living in... Hi. Hello. He's making me sound like I'm really decrepit and old, but guess what? I'm not. pain <laughs> 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 in the ass that keeps me going. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Bill, how do you avoid getting into the trap of living in resentment and being a martyr? I got a... Uh a text from a friend of mine from Florida that I went to Monday night meetings with for 20 years. It was about how to handle it when you're overwhelmed and you have 20 different things that you got to do. And I've been overwhelmed massively. And I read it and I realized, you know, just do one thing at a time. Yeah, that's AA. Yeah. That's pretty much it. And that's all I can do. I can't do more than that. Bill, you, you spoke about your sponsees or your grand sponsees who call you daily and you talk with them. How does AA show up in your life today? <laughs> that's, a, that's a tricky question, I'll tell mm -hmm. you. It shows up because it seems like every time I start to fall down, somebody calls me. It picks me up. There's a, a girl named Lenore who, when I first arrived here about four years ago, uh, I saw her at meetings. She was... Oh, my God, was she a mess. She was one of the worst messes I've ever seen come in this program. Every meeting she spoke, she cried her eyes out. She was pulling her hair out. And going, I just go up and give her a hug and say, you know, you got this. And now <laughs> she's sponsoring people. She's running meetings. She's secretary of one of the groups I belong to. These things, they pick me up and keep me going. If they can do it, I can do it. Mm. I've said to people, Someday you'll understand how much you mean to me because these people are going to mean things to you and help you more than you're helping them. You know, like right now, you guys are helping me. There you go. And oddly enough, you're helping us too. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Bill, I've got to say this because I'm the whippersnapper in the room. It's not a frequent opportunity that I get to meet someone who's been sober as long as I've been living. Is there a single moment oh, wow. that you can talk about that worked in a way you didn't expect? Anything like that? I, I give out my medallions to people. When I see a newcomer like Lenore, I take the medallion and I put it in a hand when I know she's struggling. And I don't do this if it's the first or second time I've seen them. If I've seen them five or six, seven, ten times, and I know they're struggling, I carry old medallions with me. And I put it in the hand and I say, here's my 47-year medallion. Next time you want to, you're feeling bad, you take this medallion. And I, get, and I hold it. And we both cry a little bit. And I've had people come up to me and tell me, you know, hey, I still got your medallion that I, I got from you five years ago. I love that when that happens. That, it's an ego it's, thing, too. Slightly, but it's also a promise that AA can work for you. It is. Yeah. So I always get five or six of them on my anniversary, and then I give them out to different Okay, people. I was wondering how, because it's like eventually you're going to run out. <laughs> you know, you can buy those things, you know. <laughs> you know, Bill, I'd like to offer you this medallion, Rule 62. <laughs> oh, yes. Don't take yourself too dang seriously. 
That's right. Yeah. There we go, Don. I, oh, you got one too. I give these out. Don sent me that one. That's good. That's good. You know, I've got a medallion story I want to share real quick. When I was about six months sober, I was flying with my grandmother from North Carolina to New Mexico, and we stopped in Detroit for a plane change. And I saw a medallion as we were going to board the next plane. And I figured surely someone will pick this up before we get to it. And I got to it and picked it up off the ground. And it was an aluminum 24-hour chip from AA. And I knew that I was okay. I've got chills right now telling this. I held on to that chip for many years. One day, a friend in recovery was having a difficult time. And I gave him that chip because it had done what it needed to for me. It was yeah. time for it to do something for someone else. I like that very much. That's nice. Maybe that's what I'm doing too. Yeah. Bill, what's a time where you hit trouble and despair and you found that the program worked for you? I can think of a few times when my son had spinal meningitis in the hospital and we were afraid that he might die. Mm. He's 49 now, a big, strong kid. You know, that was a very, very tough time. How did you use the program to get through it? The people, the people in the program, they were there to support. They didn't ask for anything. They were just there for me. The group was called the Happy Wanderers in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. That's what pulled me through. One acronym for God is group of drunks. Yes. And you're describing that yeah. in every way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, Bill, we opened the show talking about poetry. I understand that you're a fan of poetry. Yes, I am. Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll. Now, Bill recites from memory. Twas brilliant, and the slithy tubes that guide and gimble in the web. All memes them were the bird rules, and showing them on wrath outrage. They were the jub jub bird, and shunned the fimbers bandersnatch. He took his verbal sword in hand, a long time the memes them foe he saw. So arrested he by a tum-tum tree, he stood a while and thought. And as an unfished thought he sat, the jabberwock with eyes of flame came whiffling to the tidely woods, and burbled as it came. One, two, and two, and through and through his verbal blade went snicker-snap. He left it dead, and with its head went galloping back. And have you slain the Jabberwock, my son? Come to my arms, my beamish boy. Oh, frivolous day, calatelay, they chelted in their joy. Jabberwock by Lewis Carroll. Now, the translation of that. <laughs> I'm chelting in joy. We're myself. about to get a translation, though. <laughs> yeah, okay. Twas brillig and the slithy tubes that gine gimble in the well. It's a description of the day. All mimsum were the borough grooves and Sean Namon's wrath outraged. Well, there might be a storm coming up. Beware the jub jub bird and shun the fimbers bandersnatch. It's a father talking to his son or a mother talking to the daughter about going out into the world. Beware the jabberwock, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch about all the problems of life. And as Nitch unfish thought she sat, the jabberwock, he's sitting there minding his own business out in life. The jabberwock with eyes of flame came whiffling through the tigly woods and burbled as it came. All the problems of life struck this poor bastard all by himself. <laughs> 
One, two, one, two, and through and through is a bibble blade. When snick is snack, he's fighting the problems of life. And with its head, proof that he's conquered the problems of life, went galloping back. And have you slain the Jabberwock, my son? The prodigal son returns. Come to my arms, my beamish boy. Oh, feverish day, calacale, they chelted in their joy. Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll. That's it. That is fantastic. <laughs> and you know what? That is a lot better than the poem I was reciting. <laughs> Bill, this is a pleasure to meet you and be able to talk to you about recovery and Lewis Carroll. <laughs> Bill, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real joy. Thank you very, very much for having me. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. And I hope if anybody's out there is listening, if you go out, please come back. Please come back. I need you. These two pathetic guys need you, too. <laughs> there's, a, there's an awful lot of people that need you. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Hey, Don, have we heard from any listeners? Why, yes, we have, Sam. It's time for listener feedback. Call 212-870-3418 or write us at podcast at aagrapevine.org. Hi, this is Rachel. I'm an alcoholic from Queens, New York, and today is my seventh anniversary. I was calling to express some gratitude for the podcast. Um, I found your old podcast, The Boiled Owl, when I had recently had a baby and wasn't making it to as many meetings as I liked, and it really helped me to hear some experience, strength, and hope. And I was so excited when you guys made it official on the grapevine. And I listen every week, and it's really helped me in my recovery in a time when I have to work and parent, and it's so nice to have something I can just listen to easily on my phone. So thank you so much for everything that you do, and have a great day. Hi, Rachel. Congratulations on your seventh anniversary. I'm glad you found the podcast helps and adds a little recovery into your day. And I'm glad you moved with us over from the Boiled Owl to the official podcast <laughs> here where staying sober is no longer a theory. Thanks for calling. Sam, how long have we been doing this podcast? It'll be two years on October 4th. You know what would be cool? If listeners were to call in about how the podcast has been useful and how it's affected their sobriety. Ooh, that'd make a great episode. But that's going to require every single listener to call in. How can they do that, Don? Well, every single listener, line up <laughs> one at a time and call 212-870-3418. Or send a voice memo to podcast at aagrapevine.org. Operators are standing by. That's 212-870-3418. The Grapevine Podcast is all about y'all, and we want to hear from you. I'm tired of hearing me talk. I'm tired of hearing you talk, too. Well, I'm tired of you, too. Well, I'm tired of you. I'm tired of you. <laughs> Some listeners better get in here if we're going to keep this thing going. 212-870-3418. Hi, folks. What stories do you tell about the big book? Was there sometime in early sobriety a passage suddenly lit up for you? 
Did you struggle with a passage? Perhaps you have a fond memory of reading with your sponsor or group. Tell us your favorite big book memories. Stories are due October 15th, 2023. Visit aagrapevine.org to submit. Historic Short Snort from October 1958. Heard on the London sightseeing bus. We are now passing one of the most famous pubs in England. Oh, why? (laughs) (laughs) It's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.